the great emptiness, nothing lacking and, not <clears throat> and nothing in excess. Life is in transition. Life is always in transition. Perhaps it is now much more manifest with all the troubles going on in the world. Sometimes <coughs> life seems <coughs> quiet, placid, and very calm. That could be just on the surface, but inside the life would be in turmoil, in upheavals. <clears throat> uh, so this verse, be master wherever you go, become one in every condition. We have uh, this meditation formula which I give uh, to uh, <coughs> practicing Zen students. Meditation is concentration and concentration is oneness. 
It's also one of the six parameters, the fifth parameter, which is meditation parameter. May I practice meditation and attain concentration and oneness to serve all beings. So uh, practice of oneness in our everyday life. Now, be master wherever you go, or be Zen master wherever you go. Now, the word Zen means meditation, as you may know. <coughs> uh, the original Sanskrit, that's a classical Indian language, word for Zen was Dhyana in Sanskrit and Jhana in Pali scholars say actually the word Chan in Chinese or Sun in Korean and Zen in Japanese <coughs> they actually the word Chan in Chinese they comes from the word Jhana in other words a Chinese corruption of the Pali word Jhana and then when uh, Chan was introduced to Korea, it became Sun. And then when it was introduced to Japan, it became the Japanese pronunciation of the word Zen. And it was the Japanese who first introduced this type of meditation to the West. So since then, in the West, it has become known as the Japanese word Zen. Then something happened. So it basically means meditation, uh, uh, which is uh, concentration, not contemplation. Here, concentration means <coughs> it does not. This meditation does not involve thoughts and thinking. <coughs> Traditionally, it's, it's put it this way: <coughs> the word. Prior to speech, the word prior to, to speech, 1,000 sages uh, have not been able to pass on. So in other words, it means uh, in, when it comes to Zen, it's got to be original and authentic, which means it has come from each of you in your own style. Uh, with your own blood and uh, vessels. <coughs> well, as you well know, it says, uh, <coughs> if you throw things at dog, dog would always run after things thrown at them. It's called the running dog mentality. <coughs> but if, <coughs> but uh, if you throw things at the lions and tigers, the lions and tigers, these guys, they don't like the second and third hand stuff. If you throw things at them, they would never run after things thrown at them. They would directly go after a person who did the throw. <laughs> that's original experience. That's authentic experience. So the Zen wants nothing <coughs> other than original and authentic. So that's why the uh, artists, you know, <coughs> they love it. You know. Uh, now, but uh, something happened when Zen came to, to the West and became popular going through 50s, 60s, and 70s. 
everybody was going through some kind of a Zen stage, you quote and unquote, in <coughs> 50s, 60s, and 70s. And there were actually a number of people who were promoting it, including Alan Watts. <coughs> but since then, you see that once I used to read, uh, someone gave me one year subscription, The Economist, you know, the, the weekly. <coughs> and uh, I was surprised quite often they would use the word Zen. Yeah, I mean, this is, a <laughs> you know, it's not even a spiritual magazine. <laughs> And uh, so I was watched how they use the Zen. But anyway, when it comes to something inscrutable, incomprehensible, inconceivable, that's Zen. Yeah. <coughs> well, I mean, you need some convenient word, that's Zen. Something that goes beyond your kind of knowledge, that's Zen. And then the second category is something funny something outrageous, something odd, but at the same time, it's profound. It makes sense. That's a Zen. And then now, finally, something very plain, something intimate, and something obvious is missing. But if when, uh, when you, sometimes by accident you discover it, it's been, it has been here all, all this while. Uh, but I was looking for somewhere else. Um, this is close, actually comes close to traditional Zen too. Uh, but something so ordinary, something so plain and simple, hmm, but that has been missing in my life all this while. Even plain act, uh, like the acts of sometimes you know, they, uh, like the so-called unsung heroes, um, they did a marvelous feat. But also, this is just my ordinary everyday life. I don't think I did something fantastic, like a nothing special. That's also Zen. <coughs> uh, it's actually the word nothing special quite a frequently, you know, appears in Zen dialogue back, <coughs> you know, 700 or 1,000 years ago, <coughs> uh, during the called one Zen Buddhism or Zen culture, and Zen Buddhism Zen practice flourished, and then eventually later on, uh, something came on in the form of a Zen arts and culture. Right now, actually, Komala is giving a series of. Uh, lectures, five talks on Zen, I think it should cover the Zen as and culture. Now, so this practice of oneness in your everyday life. Now, not long ago I had uh, this experience. Uh, it's, uh, uh, <coughs> this, this, there was this Korean monk who visited uh, me a couple of times. Basically, this was his uh, first visit to the West, to, uh, to Canada and USA. And he came uh, to gain some experience and learn uh, from Westerners how they do Buddhism, <coughs> with a particular emphasis on Zen. And uh, so, 
late uh, this uh, Sungsang Sunim, he passed away. He, uh, he had a number of disciples, and his disciples <coughs> have been training in Korea for a number of years. Some of them speak quite fluent Korean. So he, uh, while <coughs> in Korea, he met one of them and then got some advice. And uh, he told me one of the pieces of advice he got from uh, one of the <coughs> American Zen monks uh, living and training in Korea. So, well, <coughs> don't try to judge or look at American Zen or Canadian Zen, the practice of Zen, <coughs> with your Korean uh, Zen eye. Obviously, <coughs> uh, Canada is not Korea, or America is not Korea. Even though they practice Zen, uh, <coughs> it's going through a transition. So he went to Providence, uh, uh, Rhode Island, Providence in Rhode Island, that's uh, the headquarters of a quantum Zen school. So initially he went there to do three months, or at least one month, Gyalje. Which is intensive retreat. Uh, and, uh, so he had this, uh, you know, serious intention. He went there, but he stayed. Uh, and he, well, he came to visit me before that, so I encouraged him. And uh, and then, uh, not long after, he 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 called me, and he went there and stayed overnight and got out. <laughs> so I said, what happened? And uh, what happened was um, when Sung San Sinim passed away and uh, he appointed, well, I don't know the details how it took place, but uh, uh, I've known this woman uh, for quite some time. But anyway, he, he appointed one of his senior women disciples as his heir. And she's not even monastic, you know. She's not even shaven, her hair is shaven, you know. So, but of course, uh, while the Sung San Sinim, the Korean Zama, she did clever things. You know, it's, uh, Korean Buddhism is still very much monastic Buddhism, you see. And then uh, there's a big gap if you're a monk, either male or female, and the lay people, there's, you know, there's big, still big difference, still there's barriers. <clears throat> and uh, we don't have that here, you see. Even though I, you know, sit here, you know, <coughs> you know, it's uh, sometimes uh, you don't make much of it. Maybe when I, when you hear Dharma talk, but uh, you know, <coughs> uh, also of the years, I loved to play underdog than anything else. It's <laughs> <coughs> uh, uh, um, but anyway, so. And so, it's, they have, a, I don't know, they have some rituals, you know, if you like to go in for this long retreat. Uh, obviously, you have to honor the teacher. You know, I mean, he's a monk, he's ordained a monk for 20 years or so. So, and then you have to the prostrations before this lay person, you know. And that's, at, women at that, you know. So, he cannot stomach that, you see. So he said, I can take everything else, but I can't. <laughs> so he came to me and with the conference. I, you know, I had to tell him this. 
There's this Vimala Kirti Sutra, and some of you may know that. Vimala uh, Kirti Sutra is one of the uh, well-known, famous Mahayana Buddhist scriptures. Here, the hero, uh, the main figure in this sutra is a layman. His name is Vimala Kirti, so that's called, this scripture was named after him, Vimala Kirti Sutra. Uh, he was uh, uh, like uh, something like in modern parlance, he was Indian CEO, you know. Uh, he made uh, fortunes, you know. So he was uh, uh, like uh, upstart. In, in that time when Buddhism arose, there were a lot of uh, you know, merchant class who were gaining social status in those days. So, but uh, he was not just the CEO, you know. He was a great Buddhist practitioner with a wisdom eye. So, uh, uh, and he even won respect from the Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha. So, uh, one day, the Buddha heard he was uh, ill, you know. He was not well. So, uh, he wanted to send some of his senior disciples to inquire after his illness. But it turned out most of his senior uh, disciples were afraid to go and visit him because he is so powerful, you know, and uh, they were afraid to be, humil- to be humiliated in his presence. I mean, Dharmikari speaking, you know, Dharma power, like wisdom-wise. So eventually, uh, <coughs> the Manjushri, that's uh, Manjushri is one of the Bodhisattvas known uh, for his wisdom and Dharma knowledge. So he volunteered, so he led, you know, uh, bodhisattvas and Buddha's senior disciples <coughs> and, uh, to go and pay visit to him, you know. <coughs> so well, there's uh, all these famous dialogues going on, and uh, 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 that's actually the main content of these scriptures. But anyway, there's a famous saying comes on, uh, <coughs> I'm not at ease because the people in the world are not at ease. That's one of his famous sayings. Anyway, uh, so I told him, well, what's what's the big deal making prostrations before a lay person or before a female teacher? Uh, I mean, it's uh, nothing at all, you know. I mean, if you cannot bring yourself down to that, you must, uh, you have to learn to stoop as low as possible to examine yourself. Hmm? If you're a Zen monk or some monk. <coughs> and, uh, and then you can check it out. You know? There's even a well-known uh, Master Chao Cho's story that uh, <coughs> you know, he was very uh, uh, filial to his master. He served his master for something like 20 years. And then uh, when his master died, he was uh, 60 years old. Then again, he spent, uh, this is uh, more like a Confucian cult, he spent uh, three years just uh, beside uh, his teacher's graveyard, grave mound. Just he, he said, uh, he built a you know, meditation hard and uh, <coughs> He sat in meditation and kept him busy for three years. 
Then he set out for the first time on a pilgrimage to visit other teachers and temples and monasteries around the country. Before he set out on his pilgrimage, he made a vow. If there's a seven-year-old child, and if, it, if there's a something I can learn from the seven-year-old child, I'll go after him, I'll visit him, and learn from seven-year-old child. But if, <coughs> if there's eight-year-old man, there's something I can teach him, I would go after him and serve him and teach the Dharma. So the history is famous. So, <coughs> so this monk, he behaved as if he never heard of, of this, even these stories. Now, of course, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, <coughs> you know, I, you know, so-called Zen students, even Zen teachers visit. You know, you may heard of a stink of enlightenment, but that's the word uh, <coughs> Kumala used uh, <coughs> this past Thursday when she gave out the first lecture. There's something called the stink of Zen. And it could, I'm, I'm sure it would be anything, you know, could it be a stink of Buddhism or stink of Christianity or stink of Hinduism or there's something like that. There's, you can see a lot of that sometimes. I mean, people who are very, very righteous or holier than thou and all these things. But, <coughs> but a stink of Zen is something like uh, 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 one day uh, this guy, you know, I mean, I would not name it, belonging to another Zen group in town, he came looking for a book. And, uh, uh, and he was very frustrated <coughs> because, you know, well, of course, we put books according to uh, you know, some classifications, the life of Buddha and Zen or Tibetan Buddhism, you know, if you visit our bookstore downstairs. But sometimes when people check it out, they don't, they don't always put it in the same place. So sometimes they get mixed up. And uh, we don't always, you know, we don't, we don't have a you know, uh, special assigned or you know, someone employed to run bookstore. It's run by volunteers, you see. <coughs> And uh, so he could not find the book. And uh, <coughs> so and then he saw the books were somewhat mixed, you know. And he couldn't stand that. If it is scanned, it has to, everything has to be cracked. <laughs> he, he got started. And he said, this is Zen temple? You know? <laughs> Something like that, you know. And, uh, and another thing is there, sometimes there are people coming looking for Zen garden, you know, you know, there's Zen culture, they read the book Zen garden. So, do you have a Zen garden? Can I come and take a look at your garden? Oh, we have a garden. We, in the back, we have an organic garden, and uh, in front, we have a non-organic garden. <laughs> Natural garden. We have, you know, it's sometimes beautiful right there. It's there, uh, you know, wild flowers. I was, I was surprised to find, you know, wild flowers. Tiny blossoms, but a little tall, you know, that's uh, <coughs> why they bloom according to season, you know, uh, during the summer, purple and this, that. it's beautiful. You know. And also we have, uh, I think two or three years ago, first we tried, I think, uh, you know, our members tried to get rid of uh, dandelions, you know, dandelions take over the whole thing. But, and he says, okay, just leave it. So we left it, and uh, dandelions, they really took off. 
And they said, so beautiful. It attracted the photographs that they come and <laughs> take a picture. So anyway, uh, you see that, you know, it's, it's, um, there's a, something called think over Zen. <laughs> now, it's, uh, let me say a few more words. My time is coming up. It's a practice of awareness. Just, uh, let me just repeat the verse again. Be Zen master or be master wherever you go. Be one in every condition. <coughs> and the next verse is perfection. It's like uh, the great emptiness, nothing lacking, nothing in excess. Of course, uh, uh, this is uh, you know, for the consumption of uh, monks who are renounced all attachments, so-called household life, who uh, freed himself or herself from all these worldly encumbrances so they can go placid and undisturbed, unhindered wherever they go. But if you be, if you are household holding job and all, it would be very difficult. But uh, here, along with the meditation master, your ordinary, your ordinary everyday life is the way of a Buddha. So that has been my teaching. That's why I'm here. Your ordinary everyday life is the way of a Buddha. That means apart from your ordinary everyday life, there's no other way of a Buddha. So uh, that's driving message. So that means there's nothing is wrong with the, you, with the way you are when it comes to Buddhist practice. Uh, sooner, you know, I'll, I'll be conducting, I'm, right now I'm conducting members for membership meetings. I learned from what you have to say, uh, uh, running your, uh, re- leading your everyday life, and still carrying on Buddhist values. So uh, it's uh, true, your life may be in turmoil, your life may be in transition, it's always like that. Uh, like seasons, you know, it's uh, when uh, when fall season comes, you have to become at one with what comes with the fall. You know, uh, weather turning cold, leaves changing, you know, uh, and then you have to go through winter-like period, and then spring comes. Then you have you have to learn to enjoy each season and appreciate that, uh, become one at it. You know. <coughs> And, but here, whether your life is turmoil and upheaval or in this discontinuity, but there's always continuity in the midst of discontinuities, in the midst of upheavals, flows. You have to flow from moment to moment, <coughs> internally and externally. <coughs> and <coughs> That's called the discovering hope. 
and realizing your true nature. <clears throat> and that's challenge. For meeting the challenge, going through the process, that's the practice. That's why we say practice and cultivation in the midst of activities is far superior to practice quiet up in the mountains. It's dynamics here. So the message right here, right now, just this. That's what you forgot. And all the ingredients for your awakening and enlightenment are right there. But just this is uh, you have to become a true person. There's this another famous word. It's a muijinin, a true person, a true and sincere person of no special status. That's a common, ordinary person. That means Buddha within, Buddha in, our, in us, this true person. So you have to become true to yourself. So when you meditate and sit, see, <coughs> it's, um, whether you are sitting, still, with a falsehood or pretending, or whether you are sitting, true person, with a confession and repentance. Confession and repentance, but to yourself, because you know you can cheat the whole world, but not you. So that means true person, you have to become true person to yourself. For happiness, for your own happiness. And then to pass on that happiness to people you associate with. Tandaa, Ah, uh, nah, 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 nah.